All right. Hello, friends. Greg Kogel here at Stand to Reason and uh, doing a show off schedule. So this will all be open my calls. And I got a gazillion of them. It's so nice of you to uh, send those in either on our website, uh, on the podcast page where it says live broadcast. And there's a way in which you can record your question for me or you can just phone in at, uh, let's see. I got to get this someplace so I can see it better. All right, there it is. Eight five seven dial str. That's eight five seven eight. Make that eight five seven three four two five seven eight seven. That number was hiding behind something, and I have to crane my neck to see it. And I got bugged, so I just grabbed it <laughs> so I could read it clearly to you. Anyway, you can call that number. And then follow the prompts and leave your question if you like. <clears throat> or you can uh, just go on the Internet and go to our website at str.org. And the podcast page where it says live podcasts, select that and you'll get the information there how to do it. So we've got a lot of people calling in. And, and uh, the only thing I – I love these these open mic calls just for the record because it m- makes a hard job easy for me, easier for me. And that's when I don't have callers or I come in in a day – with an off, uh, an off schedule show like I'm doing now, I've got something to work with. The disadvantage, of course, is I can't interact with you as a caller, and I usually like to do that, especially if I have, there's ambiguities about your question that could be cleared up with conversation. But nevertheless, here's what we have. <laughs> so I'm going to start with Joseph's call. And it has to do with the euthyphro dilemma, or also known as the euthyphro dilemma. I don't know what the right pronunciation is, but J.P. Marlin calls it euthyphro, so he's my mentor in this area, so I'll do that as well. Let's hear from Joseph. Hello, Mr. Copel. My name is Joseph. I've recently started listening to Dennis Prager's Fireside Chats. I've listened to about 10 of them so far. And I'm wondering why so many Christians recommend that people use him as a source of good advice, guidance, and wisdom. What I've heard him so far say is that he completely denies the divinity of Christ, that it doesn't matter which religion one follows as long as it teaches you how to be a good person and to treat others well. Because Mr. Prager says that as far as he's concerned, there are only two kinds of people, good people and bad people and that God isn't as concerned with theology or doctrine or holiness or worship as he is with how people treat one another. All of this and much more of what he teaches seems to be antithetical to Christianity. So why do so many Christians recommend him so highly? Thank you for taking my call, and I look forward to hearing your response. Oh, okay. Well, this is a different one than I expected it to be. Joseph, thank you. I'll answer Joseph, though. Um, Whenever—look at— I guess a simple way of putting this is that nobody gets everything right. People who have good contributions to make will also have things that they believe that I don't think are accurate or true or sound or even noble, um, certainly not biblically correct, all right? Um, Dennis Prager is a Jew. He is not a Christian. And because he's a Jew, he is not going to affirm the divinity of Christ. That's not a problem, because he's not a Christian denying the divinity of Christ. He's a Jew denying the divinity of Christ. Do I recommend his theology on that point? No, he's mistaken. 
okay? Um, he also is a works—he believes in works-based salvation. Do I agree with that? No. But he's a Jew, and that's Jewish theology. So all that Dennis is doing is reflecting theology regarding um, salvation and the person of Christ that is characteristic of his own religion. Because he does that, which, by the way, is not very often, certainly he doesn't talk about Christ very often, the divinity of Christ, um, but he does talk more about about the division between decent people and indecent people are good and bad people. He talks more about that. I'll get to that in a moment. He's being faulted for believing Jewish theology is what it amounts to. So at that point, I disagree with him. <clears throat> that isn't the thing he focuses on the most. He focuses on the most—the thing he focuses on the most is virtue and uh, the movements that are characterized by vice that we need to oppose so we have more virtue in our culture, in, in our individuals. I agree with that. What I don't agree with him on is that you can get enough virtue to be self-justified, all right? That's where we differ. But why would somebody be against the culture being more virtuous? Especially when the virtue, in this case, that Dennis promotes is almost entirely a virtue that is consistent with a Christian worldview. Um, uh, that doesn't get them saved. I agree with that. But it doesn't mean that the encouragement is not a sound one. And the book of Proverbs has a number of passages that essentially say, you know, it's better for a ruler to promote righteousness than unrighteousness. So there is a civic goodness that is good for image bearers. It reflects human flourishing, or and it reflects it and accomplishes that. The more that we adopt these principles of virtue in our culture, the more virtuous people are going to be <clears throat> because they are living consistently with God's system, and therefore the happier they're going to be in this life, and the greater good will come out of it in culture in general. Okay? I'm sure that there were people who fought against slavery because slavery was a bad, evil thing, who themselves were not believers in Jesus of Nazareth. All right? Um, they were—they received, in a certain sense, the Christian worldview and an understanding of the dignity of all human beings, and therefore opposed slavery, just as you can have atheists now that oppose abortion. There, the non-believer's opposition to slavery and the non-believer's opposition to abor abortion are both good things, even if it doesn't accomplish what they might think is a kind of salvation for them because they're doers of good. The reason I recommend Dennis, and by the way, I've actually had personal conversations with him on both of these issues. The reason I recommend Dennis is, well, a number of reasons. One of them is he's got a tremendous amount of wisdom when it comes to issues of policy and the direction the country is going and what points of view 
represent virtuous points of view and what points of view represents vice or evil or <clears throat> destructive ideas. He's very, very good at that. He has a tremendous amount of insight, even though he's not a Christian, even though he believes in an ethics or work-based salvation, and even though he doesn't affirm the divinity of Christ. So, uh, it's my, my recommendation is to eat the meat and throw away the bones. I've never, as far as I can recall, char- uh, encouraged people to listen to Dennis for their theological insight, their great biblical theological insight, uh, but rather for insight that he has that is not in contradiction to biblical revelation. So, uh, I mean, I I understand the complaint. Why are you always doing this when he doesn't believe these two things? But those are two things that he doesn't believe, yet there's a multitude of things that he does believe, and we share a common um, ethical viewpoint regarding, especially as it touches cultural development policy issues. And the way he forms those and arguments regarding those is really good. Dennis Prager is my radio mentor. I mean, I had a, 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 a conversation with Dennis when I was offered the job at KBRT 33 year, almost 34 years ago to do a regular radio show on the weekends, three hours Saturday, three hours Sunday was the standard. And uh, I wanted his input about what he thought about my capability of handling a job like that. And uh, he encouraged me to take take the to take the job, and which is what I did, and that's led to all kinds of other fruitful things. Would I not take his advice on that kind of thing simply because he was he rejected the deity of Christ and he believed in works based salvation? I mean, I, I mean that doesn't make any sense to me. We take advice from all kinds of people who aren't Christians because we we deem the advice sound and them capable of giving good device, advice, rather, regardless of the circumstances of their theology. They can do that, all right? Um, you don't follow w- wicked men in their wicked ways, right? But there are virtuous people, in, people who are virtuous in many ways that we can learn from. And I think Dennis is one of them, which is why I recommend him. Fully understanding that he is, and I've said this before, probably publicly, that he is an enemy of the cross of Christ. That is, when it comes to the issue of salvation, he promotes a works-based salvation, which is a standard Jewish approach. And therefore, when the issue of the cross of Christ comes up, in his view, that's not relevant to salvation— now, I think there's some misunderstanding here, but it's not because I haven't had conversations on that very issue with him. In fact, I'm thinking now of a September a number of years ago, six, seven, eight years ago, High Holy Days, and Dennis had me address a Jewish audience, along with a Roman Catholic priest, with questions that from him that he thought the audience had. And the very first question was, is Jesus the only way of salvation? 
And so I I gave, I think, a quite lucid characterization. There wasn't just a, a yes, which if I said yes, that would have given the wrong impression, frankly, it would have made it sound like the Jews are going to, to hell because they're Jews, which isn't the point at all. And so I began to express the point. Um, now, it entailed the notion of faith or trust in Jesus to be rescued from the appropriate punishment that we deserve, all right? Now, I think Dennis could reflect back that view to someone, but not profoundly or deeply understand the import of it. It's not like he hasn't been told about some of these things. He just thinks we're wrong in those things. And insofar as he's promoting works against a faith in Jesus to pay for our sins— not just faith or belief, but a faith in Christ to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, and that is save us. Even as good as we might be, we still aren't good enough to satisfy the demands of the law. Uh, He has said many times in his tradition and according to his view, behavior is more important to God than belief. But you see, belief is not just a correct belief about some things in the Christian system. Belief is a trust in someone to do something, okay? So so compare it to, uh, it, it's almost like saying, um, hmm, I'm going to walk across the country in 10 days. Good luck. That's works. The alternative is to have someone drive you, get in somebody else's vehicle, and then drive and get you across within that time. And so it is not just a belief that the driver can accomplish, but it's the getting into the car so that the idea of carrying you to the other side um, is actually accomplished because of the way you put your trust in that situation. So I'm digging around for a parallel, but I think you get my point. Sometimes Dennis will characterize a faith versus works as faith is a mere belief. But it's not a mere belief. It's a trust in someone to do something for you. That's the idea. And I don't know that that's all come together for Dennis. Uh, but nevertheless, um, this is an area of disagreement that I've had with him. And um, But otherwise, I think he's a magnificent individual. And I think Christians have a lot to learn from him. I mentioned that he was my radio mentor. Um, I've learned how to do radio, I think, effectively because I copy Dennis, who I think does it really well. And over the years, I've tried to mimic him. Actually, when Melinda was here, she'd say sometimes that she thought I was channeling Dennis, so to speak. But I was picking up and improving my craft based on his cap- his ability with the craft, and that helped me be a better broadcaster. Um, so there's lots of things you can learn from non-Christians. Um, you don't take everything from them. You eat the meat and throw away the bones. And uh, in his case, there's there's a lot of meat to benefit from. So that would be my response, Joseph, to you. I understand his limitations theologically, 
and I disagree with those particular things. But there's a whole lot of other things I agree with, and I think he has a he has a peculiar insight into things, a perspicuity, a clarity of thinking, and I think that he has a very crisp, clean way of of explaining these things, throwing the ball so people can catch it. These are these are virtues I'd like to have in my own work, and I can learn from him in that. And I think many others can do so as well. If you don't think so, fine, then don't listen to Dennis Prager. But uh, my point is simply, um, my point is simply that uh, that with any individual, you're always going to have to me- separate the meat from the bones, right? Throw away the bones, eat the meat. Uh, incidentally, that do you want me to take this call now? Here's somebody calling in off schedule, which I don't even know how they knew that I wasn't behind it. We're going to take the call. So let's see what they have to say. And this is Joe in Atlanta. Hello, Joe. Oh, Amy, you got to do it. Surprise, man. Oh, <laughs> no say, idea say, going to get you. Yeah, yeah. Say that again because I missed it. I was having trouble with my buttons here on this TLOS. Well, what did you say? I, I, I said, what a pleasant surprise in my wildest imagination. I mean, talk about... <laughs> Talk about the Holy Spirit at work. <laughs> All right. You mean you're surprised to get a hold of me? Yeah, I wasn't expecting to speak to you today. I thought maybe I was going to leave a message in some kind of uh, queue, and then maybe you would catch it on the podcast. But yeah. I had no idea that you were going to be live. So yeah, I just happened so thank to God be. for that. Yeah, that's fine. I'm glad to, that you called, Joe. What's on your mind? Okay, so um, whew, let's see. Well, first and foremost... Um, Thank you for 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 your book. I'm 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 really working on the uh, tactics book right now. Let me just give you, I guess, in in summary, a little bit about my walk, where I'm at, and kind of gives you some content. Okay. I mean context. I'm sorry. Yeah. Br- about a, a brief summary, though, so we can get to your question. Sure. Sure. Well, um, so 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 I was brought up Christian, but I really wasn't really walking the walk. I wasn't really a, a, a big a big student, um, per se. So over the last three years, I've really kind of uh, gotten really close to God. So long story short, you know, I'm, uh, you know, God's moving in me in, in a lot of different ways, lots of healing, asking me to, you know, change careers, kind of focus more on serving, you know, the kingdom, et okay. cetera. So anyways, that's kind of where I'm at as a person. All right. And, um, and then a lot of times I feel ill-equipped when I'm having conversations with people about faith, and I know that, you know, Christ is the way. And sure. um, and anyway, so um, if I'm reading your book, and then, um, of course, not everybody is the same, you know, like I just, I, I wish I had all your responses, like, stored in my head, but I'm not there. <laughs> you've been doing, you've been doing a lot of spiritual, yeah. you've been doing a lot of reps for a uh, long time. Yeah, so. well, Joe, I don't even have all of my responses stored in my head, so <laughs> it comes and goes. Anyways, yeah, so, so, uh, but, but you're amazing, man, and, and you're truly a godsend, especially for, um, you know, for, for, for people like well, me. Thank so anyways, you. Thanks. um, so a buddy of mine posted something on social media and uh, and it, it, and it went something like this, and I, this is put me putting what I've learned in your book to practice. I mm-hmm. wanted to pass over it, but I couldn't. I should have prayed on it before I responded. But anyway, so he respond. He posted something, and I know he's seeking too, but he's just in a different place. So he okay. said, "Don't be a religionist. 
and think that there's only one way to God. All right. Okay? So that's the challenge People, right there. That's the challenge. And then I do, you know, uh, 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 pretty much one of the three Greg specials that I have, and I said, um, what do you mean by religionist? Great question. <laughs> right. And he responded, uh, how do you interpret it? And and then wait, 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 hold on. He wait, uh, just just so I'm clear, you asked him, "What do you mean by religionist?" And he told you, he said to you, "How do you interpret it?" Exactly. Oh well, that's the wrong question. If he's, right. I, I mean, you could say, "Well, the way I interpret it is, I think you hate gays," since you asked me. <laughs> now, of course, that's a ridiculous interpretation, right? Because, But it makes the point that the meaning of a phrase is not in the mind of the person who listens to it. It's in the mind of the person who makes the statement, and that's what you're after. What do you mean? It doesn't matter what you, what, what you Joe, mean, means. Uh, it matters what the other person means. So I'm surprised at that response. Well, how do you interpret it? What did you say then? I said, I don't know what you mean by religionist. Mm-hmm. I said, um, I responded, how many religions state that there's only one way to God? All said, religions. Searching. The, virtually every religion states that, with with Baha'i being probably the exception. Okay, okay. In so other words, I'm, every I'm, every religion believes or holds that its understanding of the nature of reality is the true and accurate one, and they include a way of dealing with the problem man's facing, whether it's sin or whether it's the illusion of life that we have to escape or whether it's suffering that we escape. And there we're talking about Christianity, Judaism, and Islam in the first case, Hinduism in the second case, and Buddhism in the third case. So a lot depends on their details, what, but they all hold that their view is the accurate take on reality. So everybody thinks their sure. way is true. It's not just sure, a Christian. But, but there, there was only one. There was only there was only one Jesus who actually like correct. Had, you know, I I am the way. So sure. It, 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 I, I, my understanding, I don't know. Maybe there's other prophets that said that. My, my understanding, just on a little bit of research that I've done, that there's been no other, um, you know. Nobody's ever witnessed someone say, "I am the way." Well, right? no, it's so, it, maybe not in those words, but the in Muhammad there is giving a revelation, <clears throat> excuse me, or offering a revelation that uh, is meant to be understood to be true, divinely authored, and authoritative. Okay, in other words, it's the only way. This is what God says. Whatever He says, that's it. In Islam. All right. So Muhammad doesn't say he is the only way. He says his religious understandings are the right way. And so there is a difference in Christianity and Islam and all other religions where the focus is on the individual in Christianity, Jesus, on who he was, uh, and not on merely his teachings. So that is a distinctive of Christianity, right? Okay. So so then I quoted uh, John 14, 16, and I also quoted— he also said, and I said, uh, I quoted uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight to thirty, where he says, "Are you tired? We're now burned out on religion." So I posted that that in there, and then I took this from your book. I said, "Religion is a Latin based word for religare, re- 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 which means to bond together." Those are some of the findings I've discovered so far. Mm. And then I went back and I said, "How do you interpret that?" You asked him about interpreting the verses that you cite, correct? Correct. Okay. 
and, and then he are, went deeper into the weeds, and <laughs> that's why that's when I was like, okay. I had no idea I was going to get you on the line. This has got to be such a cool moment. Oh, my goodness. Is this going to be posted on the podcast? This is on the podcast as we talk. It is the podcast. This is amazing. Yeah, this okay. This is amazing because I'm going to have to re-listen to this. So I'm going to ask my question and let you do the talking. So oh. anyways, I'll read to you what he said, and then you can you can guide me, Greg. All right. Um, so, he, so he responds, religionist to me means thinking that there's only one way to God, being close-minded. No, I'm sorry. Let me take a step back. He responds back, and he says, I love Jesus. He says, I love Jesus. Religionist to me means thinking there's only one way to God, being close-minded, to not being open to other religious, uh, others' religious views, such as the Constitution states freedom of religion. <laughs> to gosh. me, To me, it is the same thing as someone being a racist, misogynist, Put whatever, yeah, put right. Whatever you, you want on it. Yeah, okay. Then... What what this what's going? This person is deeply confused. Okay, and the reason I say that is mm. not because he disagrees with me. Is he saying if you claim that there is only one solution to man's problem, as Jesus did, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and many other things he said too along the same line, then somehow you are you are in, you are infringing on another's freedom of religion. That's part of the confusion. Why is it, if you think you're correct, that you're infringing on somebody else's freedom of religion? This makes no sense whatsoever, okay? And, uh, in fact, he doesn't believe that your view is correct. He thinks your view is false. This is the view that Jesus himself had from the many citations we can find in the New Testament. So if, if applying his same rule, if it turns out that believing in one way is, is, uh, is somehow an infringement on somebody's religious freedom, then, then he is infringing on your religious freedom by correcting you in your belief system, all right? So he's actually doing the same thing that he's telling you not to do. He's saying your religious view is wrong, and it's wrong because you claim there's only one way. And when you claim there's only one way, that's infringing on somebody's religious freedom, which is nonsense. People can believe whatever they want. All we're doing is saying that they're mistaken. But we have reasons for saying that. He also makes the claim that you're not being open-minded. Now, I think this person misunderstands what an open-mindedness is. All right, um, open-mindedness is is a is not does not reflect the view or closed-mindedness does not reflect the view a person has, but the way that he holds the view. Okay, um, so I'm going to use a bizarre illustration. Does he believe that the Earth is round? What do you think? This guy? Yeah. He could go either way, just based on what I'm oh, reading. Oh, okay. You know? Well, okay. Let's let me just do it rhetorically here. I suspect most people okay. he believes the world is round. That means if it's round, it's not flat. Sure. It's a globe. Correct. It's a globe, but it's not Correct. flat. Does that mean Correct. he's not open-minded? You're not open-minded because you think your way is right. You don't. You're not even open to the idea it's flat. And he's probably going to say, "No, I have good reason to believe it's a globe and it's not flat." So I'm not open to a false why. view. That doesn't mean he's not open-minded. It means he's looked at whatever evidence 
is necessary and ain't much that you need to know that the world is a globe. All right? So um, he's just mm. convinced that his view is correct. So why is it not open-minded with regards to a religion if you have done your own assessments or whatever and you come to the conclusion that Christianity is true? If Christianity is true, then all other religions, insofar as they disagree with Christianity, turn out to be false. But that's simple math. That has nothing to do with being closed-minded or open-minded. A closed-minded yeah, person... Yeah. A closed-minded person is somebody who is not willing to consider the options. Now, there are some Christians like that, but that isn't characteristically the way Christians work, certainly not people like you and me. We're not closed-minded, cutting off other things. We just don't think those other alternatives are true. It says here, right. he, he said, I love Jesus. Okay, well, yeah. if you love Jesus, why don't you follow him and believe what he says? Because mm -hmm. when you follow him and believe what he says, it turns out that Jesus is pretty narrow. In fact, he said he was, or it, the way was narrow. Right. He said that in let me, let me, Matthew chapter 6, I think, the way, or maybe 7, the way is narrow that leads to life, and the way is broad that leads to death. That's Jesus, that he loves. The Jesus he loves said that. That's so. That's that's amazing. Uh, now, Greg, let, let, if this is not a super long message, but I want to give you the full message because I like I, I would like for, to, to to you to to, to put your your Re perspective respond on to it. it. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So he he says. Uh, so we got to the point, the misogynist and all that. And he says, thinking that their way is the only way, and if you don't follow that way, you're going to hell. Sounds crazy to me. And yes, you can quote many pieces of scripture. I get it. But understand that Scripture was written by men many years after Jesus passed and is written from their own perspective and understanding of what his message was. It has many great passages in which I enjoy and learn from, but but uh, I read it a few times a week myself, but IMO, the Bible was written in a certain way to manipulate mankind. I prefer to communicate directly with God and get guidance from him through prayer and meditation. Now, let me just say this, Greg. So initially, when I saw this, taking some of the skills that I'm learning from you, mm -hmm. I went after the open-minded thing. But I realized quickly that, th that this guy, I asked him a simple question, and he hit me with five more objections. Yes, so, I understand. So I, I get yes. it entirely. That's what you got. You got a whole bunch more stuff, right. and you got to isolate them and deal with them one by one. And that's the way— I, I learned that from you, and, yeah, and, sure. I, re and, I, and I started to respond. And I, I, at first, I went—I was going to go after the Constitution. I was just going to say—this was my initial response. I deleted it, and I'll give you the short answer, and then I'll be quiet and let, and let you do it. <laughs> Let, let you respond to some of these things, because I'm just so curious, Greg, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm, and I'm excited I got you on the line. Huh. So anyway, so so my response, uh, my initial response to him was, was, was I was going to go after the Constitution and say, well, and I typed this out, and then I deleted it, and then that's what I was like, I'm going to reach out to Greg, see if I send him an email <laughs> or something. But I, I said, I said, um, I said, are you talking about uh, being open-minded? I said, I was going to say, are most of the founding fathers of this country believers? And they included freedom of religion in the Constitution. So how can that make your statement about being a believer, being close-minded to only one way when they included that in mm -hmm. the Constitution? Mm -hmm. That was my, my initial response. But then I was like, okay, this is—I'm going, like, somewhere where I just don't feel comfortable. So then I used the technique you showed in the book. I said, some interesting points you make. Let me chew on it. 
on a few of these and report back. Sure. And then I called the number, and now I'm here. Oh, okay. Well, I can't cover all the things that he talked about. But a key thing when people object to Christians thinking that their way is the only way, a key thing is, first of all, that's not necessarily close-minded. You could come to a conclusion with an open mind, considering other alternatives, and then concluding that the other alternatives are not adequate, and this is the only thing that's adequate, which Jesus is. So you're, you're, you may be narrow in your viewpoint, but you are not narrow-minded in the way you hold the viewpoint. So that's a, an important distinction. People m- make this mistake all the time. Well, if you think only one way is the right way, then you're narrow-minded, all right? So think of a physician, and he takes a look at you. You got cancer. You got a tumor. We got to cut it out. Is there any other way? No, we got to cut it out. You mean there's only one way? deal with the cancer? Yeah. Wow, you're so narrow-minded. No, he's not narrow-minded. He just knows that there's only one way to deal with the cancer. Why is that narrow-mindedness? Nothing else is going to work. That's all. The answer is narrow, cut it out, but that doesn't mean he's narrow-minded. The solution is what it is. So that's part of the problem, is that he is confusing a narrow view and a narrow-minded person. Okay. And ironically, it seems to me, well, I don't know about him, but in many cases, it's the objector that is actually the narrow-minded person because they're not even willing to countenance the possibility that Jesus could be the one he claimed to be, the way, the truth, and the life. And it's ironic because your friend says, yeah, I, I read the Bible sometimes, and I love Jesus. Well, wait a minute, which Jesus do you love? Because here's the second point. If people have a, say, they have an opinion about what Jesus came to do, I suspect he does, and he probably shared a little bit with you, who he was and what he came to do. Where are they getting their information about Jesus to form an opinion of Jesus? Well, I tell you where they're getting it from. They're getting it from the canonical Gospels. So every time they attack the canonical Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and say, well, you know, that's just written by men. Men make mistakes. These are just people's ideas. Well, then how do you know that they even wrote accurately about the Jesus that you say you love? You, you, you can't have it both ways. You can either say the, the New Testament is just a bunch of stories that are not reliable, um, and therefore they don't give an accurate picture of Jesus, or you could say they are, and I'm not talking about inspiration here, I mean just historical reliability, or they are historically reliable, and then you have to take the, uh, the view of Jesus that are, is represented in those historical books. But what you can't do is reject the view of Jesus represented in those books and then formulate your own authoritative understanding of who Jesus is because you no longer have any basis for that view. You've already disregarded the Gospels. You've said, well, those are yeah. only written by men. They're full of errors or whatever. Okay, then where? how is it that you form an idea about Jesus? Where are you getting mm-hmm. your ideas about Jesus? And this is another significant problem that a person like that is facing, okay? By the way, the other questions about textual transmission and only written by men and et cetera, et cetera, this can, these are things that can be answered. Um, mm-hmm. and, and whether we have now the, the a reliable characterization of the originals, the autographs, and we we do 
and textual criticism as a discipline that can be applied to that question. Okay, but it just it, your your friend is confused on a whole bunch of different points, and I, I guess wow. if you wanted to stay with him, what I would do is I would. Try to take one at a time, and we already talked about that. That's good that you taking that approach, and and, and then d- deal with each one individually, and try to get an affirmation from him. So, maybe first helping to understand that having a narrow view and holding the view in a narrow-minded way—that would be with blinders on. You're not looking to the left or the right. You're not considering un- other options. There's a difference between those two things. And um, just because the view is narrow doesn't mean the holder of the view is narrow-minded. So you can ask him, are you open to other options? Are you open to the idea that your view of Jesus is mistaken? Now, if he says no, well, that's the, he's the narrow-minded one. You know, he's right. not and te- even— and telling, people, and telling people there's all this ways to God, and this is the way it is, well, that sounds religious to me. <laughs> Well, I, I have a question, and how is it they know that there was all these different ways to God? How do they know that? That's in the game plan. That's our second question, right? How did you mm-hmm. come to that conclusion? So how do they know that there are many conclusion. ways to God? I, I mean, I'm interested to hear their their response, because certainly no, no other religion except for um, uh, oh, the one I mentioned earlier, you know, it's got the— yeah, Baha'i. No other religion holds that view. The Jews think and understand their understanding of God and how to reach God is the proper way, one way, their view. Hindus, they will incorporate Jesus into their pantheon of gods, but their way of understanding the way the world is, with uh, with Maya, the illusion, and then dying and reincarnating and eventually escaping this physical world being uh, absorbed by the Godhead, etc. This is, this is the truth about the world. Buddhists feel that the truth about the world is as they characterize it. Every religion thinks its religious characterization is true. And therefore, if you believe in a different religious tradition that's at conflict with theirs, then they're going to have to say then it's false where it conflicts with ours. It's not unusual. Christians are more, um, maybe they're faulted for it more, but they, it works the same in all religions, except for Baha'i. And and uh, that's a little bit of an exceptional case, but um, all religious Your friend thinks his, his way, whatever he wants to characterize it as, is the only way. That's why he's rejecting you as a religionist. A religionist is somebody who thinks they're right about their religious views. Does he think he's right regarding his religious views? Ask him that question. Does he think he's right? Mm -hmm. Well, if he does, then he's a religionist too, according to his definition of religionist, if I understood it right. See the point there? Yeah, yeah, I see it. For someone someone like me, uh, Greg, what what advice, I mean, because as I hear you talk, I mean, you're just so well-versed and it's just so beautiful to hear and read and all the good stuff. I've been, I've been really immersing myself in in your, in your work, Um, been doing a lot of reading in the Bible, but Mm -hmm. there's a part of me that feels like I also got to get acquainted with other religions, but I'm like, you know, that, uh, how, how do you 
What would you recommend for somebody who is just, just consider me new? Okay, yeah, I'm definitely uh, not, not. I'm a new, I'm a new Christian that's seeking this knowledge and wants to be able to help people see the way to Christ, to yeah, the Lord. Yeah, I, and, that's great. And I, and I don't, I don't think it requires that you know all about all these other religions. I know some things about them, enough to help people to see that each of them makes the same claim that bothers your friend, that they think they're the only way. Even your friend believes it about himself. If you have an interest in other religions, there are books out there that can give you a survey of other religions, what they believe, etc. But I don't think that you have to survey all those other religions to find out whether the claims that that Jesus made about himself are sound or mm. true, um, mm. because we have a body of historical information about the person of Jesus of Nazareth, also about his resurrection, and if we if we have good reason to believe that this man rose from the dead, which we do, we have historical mm-hmm. content. Um, and I talk about this, by the way, in a book called The Story of Reality, and you might want to look mm. at that. I sum that up. Um, uh, under a, a chapter just simply titled History, I think, when I'm talking yeah, about Jesus. Yeah, I have Jesus. that one queued up along with Tactics. Yeah, okay, good I for mean, you. along with uh, Street Smarts, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, well, great. I go through some detail there about, about uh, why we should trust the historical documents and what they say about Jesus of Nazareth. So I don't think you have to survey all religions in order to know that a particular religion is actually true. Um, but uh, all the only point I was making, and this is a logical point, if he's claiming that thinking your religion is true is religion, religionism, or how did you put it, uh, religionist, religionist, and that's yeah. bad, well then, th- everybody is guilty of that except for Baha'i. Even your friend is guilty of that, I'm sure, because he thinks mm-hmm. his own view is actually accurate, which is why he's correcting you. Um, this this yeah, doesn't... His religion, his religion says there's many ways to God. My religion says there's... My way to, to the Lord is through Christ. Yes, right, but and... keep in mind, keep in mind that when he says that, this is a religious view called pluralism, and he is claiming that pluralism is the true way of looking at it, and yours is the false way. And also the the classical Judaism and Islam are also false, because they make the same kind of claim. And Hinduism is false, and so is is Buddhism is false. He's claiming all these others are false because they think they're Mm -hmm. right, when he thinks he's right, too. That's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, and 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 it reminds me of a question you talked about in the book, which is, I, and I just asked you that question, and I just thought about mental reference of something you taught in the book. It is not up to me to go and study the world religions, because I'm not the one that's making the claim. Yeah. That's right. He's the one. He's got to He's defend that. He's making a claim about all the religions, so he's like, okay, explain to me all of these religions that you're talking about, and you know what, what are you referring to? What, right. what are the ways, according to you? To get to God. It's yeah. Like, By the way, you know, how, how how could Buddhism be a right way to God when God doesn't factor into Buddhist thinking at all? They have things like divine figures called bodhisattvas, but these are reincarnated and people who eventually reach a high level bodhisattvas, but there's no God in, in Buddhism. So how can you say this is how to get to God by Buddhism when there's no God in Buddhism? 
So, you know, this is what he's showing is a, a misunderstanding of the nature of world religions. And again, you don't have to be a student in all these things to find all that that particular point out. I mean, you could talk to people like I'm telling you that it's a non-theistic religion, but it is a, how is it? For example, if Jesus is the Messiah or Christians claim he's the Messiah, the Son of God, and Jews says he's not the Messiah, and Muslims say he is not the Son of God, that's a terrible sin to make this claim. How is it that they can all be legitimate means to God when they believe contradictory things that are really important? That's a fair question. You ask that of your friend, and then he just says, well, they are. Well, how could you? How do you know that? Do you have any reason? To t- this is what happens. People say things without giving any reason for it, and they think they've made an argument when they haven't given an argument at all. They just told you their point of view. You want to know why anyone should take that point of view seriously. Okay. I'll tell you what, Joe, we got to uh, run here. I've got some more things to cover, but uh, well, let's let that lie for now. Is that all right? Greg, thank you so much, man, for everything you do. Thank you for your work. Your books are amazing. For all your listeners, I'm reading them right now. They're, oh, wow. they're great. Mm-hmm. You're getting started. And um, I've never seen a piece of work put this way in simple English that has so much power. So oh, thank, thank you so much, you. Greg, for, really for sweet. everything, man. Yeah, you're so welcome. Okay. And call me again, Joe, when you move you. along further with this guy. Yes, sir. Will do. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye now. All right, uh, let's do. A, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with another question from our list here on Stand to Reason. Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Alan, Tim, John, and I, Robbie Lashua, are available both in person and online. Just email booking at str.org to schedule us today. We can address a wide array of topics, from bioethics gender issues in science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read our bios and learn more about the topics we cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, John, or me, Robbie, today. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. All right, friends, Greg Kokel back at you here, and we're going to go to the question from Joseph, which is the same Joseph, that asked the earlier question, we just got them mixed up. Since I promoted the one about Euthyphro's Dilemma, um, let's go ahead and run that, and uh, and I'll take the rest of the show to answer his challenge. 
Okay, third time's the charm. <laughs> Hello again, Mr. Kokel. My name is Joseph. Yes, sir. Another question I have, which I'll get to as quickly as possible, is regarding the response I heard you give to the Euthyphro dilemma a while back. The way that it was presented was, does God command something because it is good, or is something good because God commands it? For the sake of brevity, I'll just skip to the third option you gave, and I'm, if I'm paraphrasing you fr fairly, you said that since God's very nature is goodness, he is incapable of doing anything other than that which is good. But that just seems like an extension of the latter, rephrasing it to say something is good because he commands it because he is good. But although the example you give about rape seems absurd to us, it seems that he has done something similar at least a few times. In Genesis 1.28, he gives the command to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the only possible way that all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve could have obeyed that command was to engage in the practice of incest with their siblings. But later, in Leviticus 18.9 and Deuteronomy 27.22, he, expli he explicitly forbids it. And in Genesis 9.6, he forbade the ending of the life of a human being, but in the very same verse, he commands it as the punishment for doing it. The exact same objective physical result, but in one instance it's forbidden, in the other it's commanded. The only difference is our motivation, and God is the one who makes that distinction. So here are my questions. For the sake of argument, if God were to do something evil, but called it good, how could we make that determination? What standard are we using to determine whether God is good or not good? Isn't the way that we know that God is good is because he tells us that he is through his word? Please note that this is not meant as a criticism of God, but rather an acknowledgement of his perfect divine power and authority. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your patience, and I hope you choose to respond to this submission as well. Amen. Okay, Joseph. <laughs> I mean, take care. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and amen to you, Joseph, and take care. Um, actually, I got about six minutes to go here, and this is a very kind of a complicated issue because you brought up a lot of particulars here. Okay, so let me let me try to uh, unravel the knot a little bit. Um, God gives different commands at different times under different circumstances, and in fact. What was interesting about where you cited Genesis 9-6, in the same passage, he says it's wrong to take human life, and then we should take human life. You say it's one instance it's forbidden, and in another instance it's commanded. Yes, because the instances change. And when you have a change of the nature of the circumstance, then you have a different rule that can apply. That verse, Genesis 9-6, is what uh, justifies, or let's see, it's a command by God that murder be be a capital crime. But the only way you punish a capital crime, the adequate punishment, is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, a lot of people don't like that language um, because there is a way in which that's employed improperly when we take personal revenge. But what God is endorsing here is a an appropriate punishment for the nature of the crime that is done by he doesn't mention the ruling body, but that's what it amounts to, and we see more detail of that in the Mosaic Law, okay? That if a man is killed—let me back up—if one man murders another man, sheds the blood of an image-bearer, then that image-bearer sacrifices his own life. 
So the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth, the law of the claw, so to speak, is meant to make the punishment proportionate to the crime. So in the instance of um, murder, the crime of murder, that is wrong. But in the instance of taking a life as a punishment for the crime of murder, that's a different instance. The circumstances have changed, and so God makes it clear that the, the rules have changed. They are related to each other, but, but taking a life through capital punishment is not murder. It's the antidote to murder. I think there was something like 14 um, crimes in the, in the Book of Moses that were actually capital crimes where you lost your life if you did these things. So uh, he's not contradicting himself. It's, if it's in the same sentence, it should, should be pretty clear that he is, he is changing the circumstances, saying that under one circumstance it's wrong and on, on, under another one it's right. We see all kinds of battles going on that God ordained in the Old Testament. Um, it isn't that he's being inconsistent. It's that the circumstances change, and therefore the moral rule applying to it changes. Now, let's take the issue of incest. When, when human beings start out, there's a male and a female having children. What are the options for the children to be able to reproduce? They have to reproduce with their own kin. All right? That's the only alternative. Later on, God initiated a, a law pertaining to that and says, okay, now I'm putting a restriction on it. And there are reasons why he did this. One was to keep sex, uh, to keep children safe, in my view. Actually, I got that from Dennis Prager, and I thought it was a good idea. So that children are not unnecessarily sexualized, okay? There's also health considerations we know since then. But nevertheless, um, the circumstances change, so the moral principles pertaining to those circumstances change as well. All right. So those are kind of some stray issues. Uh, now to the euthyphro or euthyphro dilemma. All right. Um, how do we know that what God commands is good? Um, here I'm going to employ a principle that, that's called a, a, uh, a primitive. A, a primitive is something that you know and believe to be so that is right down at the foundation. It's a basic thing, and there's nothing underneath it that's making it, that informs it, okay? It's a, it's a basic primitive concept that we're aware of, and, uh, and things are built on that. If you didn't have something like primitives then that are foundational, all right, then you would not be able to reason ethically at all, because every time you say, well, this is what's right, then you could ask, what makes that right? And then, then you give the second thing, and you could ask the same thing about that, and you're in, in infinite regress, okay? The fact is, we seem to have a very robust concept of good and evil, all right? There may be variations about what's in that category, but we go through moral motions. And the question is, well, well, how, how can we make sense of things being good and evil? And the answer is, when you get down to it, is there has to be a lawmaker for, their, for a law to be broken. And that law that is broken, we recognize as evil because the law itself is good. It's something we recognize. There's only one solution for an appropriate lawmaker of the things that we recognize to be good, the primitive awareness of goodness, and that is a God who himself is good. 
if the God who himself is good is not an adequate foundation for the good, then nothing is. There is no other alternative. And I've seen them all, frankly. I've considered them all. But nevertheless, none of these are adequate to ground a robust sense of morality. The Euthyphro issue is important because if you if you don't accept that God is the foundation of morality in himself, then there is no answer to the challenge of Euthyphro. Just none. You're you're stuck in an infinite regress in which you could never establish the good or make sense of the good you think you know, that fundamental, foundational, primitive thing that you acknowledge is good. What is the source of that? If it's not a good God, then there is no good at all. So we fall back on that partly because there's no other alternative. The only alternative is there's nothing good, and we know better. Anyway, my apologies for jamming that all into like five minutes, as best I could do in the time I had left. But I hope it makes sense to you. Thank you for the call. Uh, Joseph, Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven, friends. Bye-bye.